0: When you're trying to improve your golf game, Callaway knows you can't hit the ball further by doing the same old thing. It takes unconventional thinking to transform your game, and that's what Callaway did with the new Maverick driver. Maverick drivers were designed using advanced AI. Callaway's supercomputer tested and refined thousands of virtual prototypes until it created Callaway's fastest, most forgiving driver. New distance is out there. It takes a Maverick to find it. Explore Maverick Drivers at CallawayGolf.ca. What started as a controversy about ties between the Prime Minister's family and a prominent Canadian charity and a $900 million government contract has turned into an ethics investigation involving Justin Trudeau and one of his senior ministers, as well as a lot of scrutiny on the operations of We Charity. The brewing scandal came to a head last week in key testimony before a parliamentary committee. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. National Post political reporter Chris Nardi joins me to talk about what we learned from the Finance Committee last week, how there are still conflicting accounts about how this deal came together, and whether the PM has been able to shed any light on the matter. Don't forget you can subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your favorite shows. We'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So Chris, we last talked about a month ago and while the story of we and the Trudeaus and the $900 million student grant program was already gaining a lot of traction, but it seems to have developed a bit of a mind of its own and there's a lot to catch up on. So before we get to the developments in the last month, what's the basic outline of this controversy? Like how do these three items I mentioned in my preamble all link together?
1: Well, uh, more and more, in fact, over the last month, we found out. So essentially, the beginning of the public part of the story is end of June. Justin Trudeau comes out and announces the Canada Student Service Grant, which is a program, uh, again, that pays volunteer students uh, for the hours of volunteer work that they do until October 31st, up to $5,000. And he announced the program saying it was coming into effect this summer and that students could apply. And then the what we call a technical backgrounder that is sent to reporters to basically explain the nitty gritty of the program so that we can then obviously send um, explain that to our readers or viewers. It is said that the program is being outsourced to someone called an organization called We Charity. Obviously, a quick cursory lookup shows that We Charity has a lot of ties to the Trudeau family. At the time, all we knew of was that the Prime Minister had spoken at these stadium-sized rallies that we host called We Days, but we also knew that Sophie Gregoire Trudeau, the prime minister's wife, hosts a podcast for them currently, is a WE ambassador, Mm -hmm. and that his mother, Margaret Trudeau, as well as his brother, Alexander Trudeau, had done speaking engagements for WE over the last few years. And so obviously, a lot of connections. And as the weeks moved forward, reporters kept on digging into this because it smelled odd, because it's the dog day of summer and nothing else is happening. You know, pick your pick your reason. But essentially, the more that reporters here on the Hill dove into it, the more we realized that the ties between WE Charity, who had received this huge contract that would essentially pay them up to $43.5 million to administer this program that's worth up to $912 million, the ties between the WE organization and the Trudeau government were a lot deeper than we thought, which obviously then raises a ton of questions about potential conflict of interest Considering that the prime minister later admitted he'd never recused himself from the discussions on the outsourcing of the program. Mm-hmm. So that's the general outlines of where this story started is this really big, almost billion dollar government program outsourced to a charity that is well known in Ontario and parts of Western Canada as well, Outsource this big program. And then we later find out there are a lot of ties between the government and this organization.
0: So a couple weeks after the program was publicly announced, this controversy comes up and then We Charity pulls out of the program and the prime minister eventually turns around and says, you know, I guess I should have recused myself from uh, the decision-making on this program. And this all leads to an ethics commissioner investigation into the prime minister, which would be his third since he became prime minister. But Trudeau's finance minister is now also under the microscope since we last talked. Why is that?
1: As I was mentioning earlier, lots of ties between the Trudeau government and WE Charity, right? As you mentioned. And what was interesting was that though Justin Trudeau's links were very apparent and obvious... Bill Morneau, the finance ministers, were actually more subtle, but in the eyes of many, much more interesting. Essentially, what we found out through reporting in various media was that two of Bill Morneau's daughters, in fact, have close ties to WE. One of them is a speaker and basically did human rights activism. And so there was a time for which she actually did some unpaid speeches for WE and was basically promoting her work partly thanks to the WE organization. She actually published a book, I believe, in 2017, where there's a quote from one of the Kielberger brothers, who are the founders of WE, basically extolling the book on the front cover. And then a second daughter actually works for WE currently, Hmm. which is obviously a very, very current and actual link between finance minister Bill Morneau and the uh, WE organization. And then, fast forward a couple weeks. Now, obviously, the opposition is smelling blood on this issue, as you can imagine. I think everyone is. Yeah. And so a various parliamentary committees voted to basically begin a study where they'd call in various witnesses on this issue to try to understand what the workings are, what the internal workings and conversations were that led to the government outsourcing this big program to we. And during one of these committee meetings, the finance minister, Bill Morneau, came in front of committee and admitted that he He had just discovered that back in 2017, members of his family had gone on two humanitarian trips with the WE organization, including his wife, Nancy McCain, and at various points, one or two of his daughters, and himself at one point on one of those trips. And basically what he realized while going through his receipts and documents for those trips is that part of those trips had been what we call comped by we, so basically offered in a complimentary way, and he had never reimbursed them, though he claimed that he had. And the the amount was to many of us rather astounding. He'd forgotten to reimburse $41,000 of travel expenses on a nearly $100,000 bill for those two trips. So he came to the committee and basically said, listen, yesterday, the day before the committee meeting, he cut a $41,000 check just like that to the WE organization and reimbursed them three years later for this complimentary trip he'd done a few years ago. But essentially, what people now understand is that for those three years... He says he didn't know, but he was basically owing money or had accepted a free gift of $41,000 worth of travel expenses from the WE organization. And this again, at the same time when he was actively participating in discussions to outsource a program to WE worth $912 million. And he had actually also a few years previous announced a grant, a $3 million grant to the organization. So again, all of this happening in the context of him or his family having gone on two trips complimentary from we and not reimbursing the full amount until almost late July. There were you know many explanations. I didn't do the accounting. I didn't look. I thought I'd paid the full amount, but they didn't invoice me. What the Kielbergers actually explained in, in front of the same committee a few days later was in fact that They had never sent an invoice for this to Morneau. It was, in fact, Morneau's office the day before he went to committee, who was looking over the paperwork, didn't see a paper trail for his payment for certain parts of the trip, which was like parts of the air travel, as well as the hospitality fees when they arrived in the countries. And so the Morneau staff basically inquired to we, asking, did we pay you for the whole thing? We came back, said, no, you didn't. And then sent them an invoice the day before this committee meeting, and presumably that's The fastest check that was written in human history at this point for $41,000 mailed the day before committee so that they could at least say that they'd paid it before committee. But that was admittedly one of the biggest bombshell revelations that's come out of these numerous committee meetings to date.
0: Now, as you mentioned, the finance committee was where we started to get more details about what was going on with this arrangement between the government and WE Charity. And first up was Minister Bartosz who who testified that the government, as you said, was willing to hand over more than $40 million to WE, but it was also learned that WE was where the idea for the grant program started. How did that come about?
1: It's an interesting process, and obviously the versions diverge according to, if you're asking, the WE organization or the Trudeau government or the public service. But essentially what we found out through Vera's testimony, as you mentioned, from Bardish Chag, the minister, as well as high-ranking government officials, is that the program was originally kind of teased by the Trudeau government on April 23rd. And so I'm going to bring up a lot of dates and I, I hope that they'll be easy to follow. But one important date is April 23rd. April 23rd is the day when the prime minister came out during a press conference and announced a slew of programs that would benefit youth that were worth a total of $9 billion. And within those programs, there was the aforementioned Canada Student Service Grant, but there were no details really attached to it, apart from the fact that they wanted to basically compensate student volunteers between $1,000 and $5,000, where it's equivalent, the math was basically every 100 hours gave you $1,000. But before that, what we find out is that we actually had already been contacted and had somewhat of a heads up that this announcement was coming. The first contact that we know of between we and the government, and I mean paper chill contact, is April 9th. On April 9th, the We organization sent a first, and what everyone agrees to call, an unsolicited proposal to the government, as well as to a couple cabinet ministers. And what this unsolicited proposal is basically Pitching is a youth entrepreneurship program that could be put in place and obviously administered by WE or run by WE, very much like, you know, key in the door, everything's taken care of. And it was basically a program that was to encourage young people to, you know, start small enterprises or get involved in, you know, entrepreneurship in a risk-free way. This was on April 9th. So this proposal obviously starts circulating amongst government, within government and uh, among certain cabinet members at the political level. Fast forward a few weeks, the government has decided that they're going to try to put in place this student grant program. This desire is communicated to the public service, including people at a department called Employment and Social Development Canada. And so what one high-ranking official at ESDC, her name is Rachel Wernick, she finds out that this student grant is happening. They've received a very, very, very broad outline of what the program is, but she said, I knew none of the details. And so they've started looking around saying, okay, who could administer this? So they start considering various possibilities. One of them is what we call the Canada Service Corps, which is an organization overseen by the federal government that was put in place by the Trudeau government a few years ago. And what it is, is essentially youth go onto this platform and they join the service corps. But essentially what it does is it ties them to volunteering opportunities and involvement opportunities in their communities. So they thought, okay, maybe we can run this future student service grant through this, or we could look at other organizations. And so, fast forward a bit, April 19th, Rachel Warnick says she reaches out to We. She asks them, We know there's this student service grant coming up. We have no idea what it looks like, but would you potentially be interested in helping us administer this in the future? You're one of many possibilities, but would you be interested? Obviously, the We organization presumably says yes. Because a few days later, and back to that April 23rd date that I told you about, the prime minister comes out and announces the program with some detail. And it's interesting because Rachel Warnik, as she's watching that press conference, she says, that's where I learned of all the details of the program. This is where I learned of what we wanted. And the same day, the WE organization sends another, what Warnik calls, unsolicited proposal to the government that is very, very much aligned with what the government had just announced. Obviously this raises a lot of questions for the opposition members saying how much did they know beforehand if even Rachel Wernick was finding out about the details of the program. But these are the initial contacts. So to go back to your initial question of we had gotten you know, the ball running, mm-hmm. they had sent two proposals to the government. One the day the program was announced and one three weeks previous that they claim, and it is arguably so, was unrelated to the Canada Student Service Grant. But clearly, the whole summary of all this was that we was Involved in this conversation well before the program was even announced. Whether the program was then catered to their needs is an unresolved question, of course, but they were in talks with the government well before this program actually came out already.
0: Could the fact that they were in touch with the government, kind of floating an idea for a program, be categorized as lobbying? Are there concerns around whether We Charity or the business arm Me To We were engaging in lobbying activity with the government?
1: There are certainly concerns from the opposition and there have been requests to the um, lobbying commissioner to basically investigate this, something that the lobbying commissioner unfortunately never confirms nor denies if they're looking into, but absolutely. So it has been confirmed by the office of the lobbying commissioner that no member of we or no representative of the organization at any level is registered to lobby the government in 2020. So essentially what comes into play here is what we call the 20% rule. Mm -hmm. So if you have an in-house lobbyist in an organization, how the lobbying commissioner determines if you need to register or not as a lobbyist is this 20% rule, which is essentially if 20% of either a group of employees or the work of any employee amounts to 20% of one employee's working time that is spent on projects that are meant to lobby, that means you need to register as a lobbyist. So I'll give it maybe in a, in a clearer sense. Let's say one work week is 40 hours. 20% of that would be eight hours, obviously. So let's say a full day's work, one day of work. So if you have one person who spent an entire day, let's say working on a proposal that would be then sent to the government, you know, any part of the lobbying process, whether it's, you know, getting into the contact, the travel to a meeting for lobbying is considered part of the lobbying process. Any part of that, If it amounts to eight hours of that person's week, then that is the 20% rule applies and they have to register. Mm -hmm. And it's even more interesting is that if it's five people working on one proposal, if each one of them puts in two hours in one week, so you hit 10 hours in total amongst them all, then the 20% rule once again applies and they have to register. What The question here is The entire amount of work that was put into the two proposals, the April 9th proposal and the April 22nd proposal, if all the work that went into those two proposals amounts to 20% of any amount of employees' work over that one month of April, then they should have registered as a lobbyist. And so I've spoken to experts, as I published in the National Post, I've spoken to experts who are highly critical of the idea that writing two full-fledged proposals for full two different programs would take less than 20% of any employee's work time. But of course, that's not a question to which we have an answer to unless the lobbying commissioner does in fact investigate and come to a conclusion.
0: In their own testimony to the Finance Committee, the Kielberger brothers, Craig and Mark, countered this earlier claim that they approached the feds saying they were approached by the government and they weren't floating around an idea for the Canada student grant. How did they explain this discrepancy?
1: Essentially what they say is that the April 19th call that I spoke of where Rachel Wernick from the government reached out to them asking them basically if they would be interesting in implementing a future program is what they say got the ball rolling for them and their involvement so they actually essentially what they do is they completely disregard the April 9th proposal because it was a completely different program they say it had nothing to do with the eventual Canada student service grant mm-hmm. so for them the initial contact was made by the government on April 19th and essentially all they did from that point on was submit a proposal in in reaction to the program that was being pitched and that they had been, they claim, asked by the government to help administer. And their proposal was essentially the one chosen after, they say, the, the public service had determined that they were the only organization in canada that was able to administer the program in the very tight timeline that had been set out by the government and with you know considering the entire uh, the objective the outreach all the elements of the program which was very wide reaching the government says it had determined we was the only organization so we said yeah sure we answered the call and they ended up signing agreement with the government but they say the ball started rolling with the government and all we did quote was pick up the phone and answer that call, which they now retroactively very much regret.
0: (laughs) At times during their testimony, things became testy, I guess would be a polite way of saying it. There was a lot of combative exchanges, especially between uh, conservative MP Pierre Polyev and the Kielberger brothers. Did you get the sense that the controversy was becoming more about we and less about whether there were inappropriate dealings involving the PM and the finance minister? Or was this just part of trying to ferret out information about what may have transpired?
1: I think it's both of those things. So... As a reporter, what I've noticed, the scandal has, in fact, evolved, where originally, beginning July, for example, when all the stories about the ties between the government and WE were starting to come out, it was very, very much a purely political scandal, where we were really, as reporters, focusing on, was there a conflict of interest between Trudeau, Morneau, and any other member of the government and the WE organization in the outsourcing of this program, and should they have recused themselves from the process, as they now apologize for not doing? But as, let's say, the stories evolved, in my own personal experience, I had a lot of former employees from WE or people in the charitable sector reaching out to me saying, hey, look into WE. There's something wrong with this organization. They, and according to many people who were telling me, they have a very poor reputation with some in the charitable sector. They're not as appreciated as they like to make people think. And so, Eventually, it's true that the scandal, I wouldn't say transitioned away from the political scandal to a focus on we and the we organization, Mm -hmm. but I think two parallel issues kind of popped up. And now there is a lot of focus, as you mentioned, on the we organization as itself because of its dealings. And there are many aspects to the stories, whether it's, for example, the fact that the we organization has a very, very particular corporate structure where there's We Charity, which is the not for profit, but there's also a very important segment called Me To We, which is a for profit enterprise. And according to most experts quoted in the media, the relationship between the two is highly unusual, but it also, because a private organization like Me To We doesn't have to declare any of its financial numbers or, or any of its records, that's kind of a shady part of the organization. After that, it's also a lot of how the company has dealt with the media, how litigious it can be, how it treats its staff. It's already come out and apologized for you know, what it claims to be inappropriate racial behavior and disrespect for racialized communities. There's been now a lot more focus on how the WE organization in itself has managed even to amass nearly $50 million dollars. In downtown Toronto real estate, when it's running what is supposed to be mostly a charity, right? a lot of questions have popped up. And I'd say now the scandal is very much two-pronged. It's the political aspect and how the Trudeau government handled this whole affair. But also the WE organization in itself is being scrutinized like it has never before. And a lot of things that are coming to light are raising even more questions about how the organization in itself operates.
0: I just wanted to focus on one aspect of that because I did find it strange, you know, you know, being in media, the idea that people might, you know, when we ask tough questions of them, respond aggressively is not a new idea. But out of the testimony from Mark and Craig Kielberger, there were questions about the hiring of a private investigator to look into The personal lives of journalists at Canada land, Jesse Brown and Jaron Kerr, who had done a lot of early reporting on we, and then it was revealed there were some other practices that tried to stifle negative coverage of them and that raised some eyebrows. Like what kind of things are we talking about here and what length was we willing to go to, to keep its image nicely polished?
1: Well, according to critics and experts, unusual lengths for a charity, let's put it that way. Yeah. So you mentioned it earlier, Jesse Brown of Canada Land had already published at least one page on Twitter of alleged private investigation report that we supposedly paid for that was essentially a 50 odd page report snooping into the lives of Jesse Brown and Jaren Kerr back when they were publishing, you know, a lot of stories about we back in 2018 and 2019, about their practices, about how they maybe, associating with companies who are known to use child labor in their supply chains, about how the cult of the Kielbergers and how basically staff had a lot of trouble working at that organization. So Canada Land did a lot of reporting about WE before it was cool, quote unquote. <laughs> and absolutely, a lot of the strategies that have come to light from the WE organization on how to handle these issues have raised a lot of questions. So you mentioned the private investigators, which was by far the testiest moment between the Kielbergers. And the opposition members during that committee meeting. Pierre Poilier basically wanted them to confirm that they had, in fact, paid for private investigators something that the Kielbergers refused to do, constantly referring to lawyer letters that were posted on Twitter as a response. And basically at one point telling Pierre Poliev that his questions they thought were inappropriate, which I consider is untrue, very appropriate in fact. But then in the last week, we found out about a lot more interesting and I think more unusual in Canada practices. One of them was a Globe and Mail story that came out that showed that we in 2019 had paid over $100,000 to a contract to essentially, a reputation management and government relations and public relations company in the U.S. that is former Republican operatives who are known for basically these very aggressive and Trumpian communication tactics, where one of the founders of this organization, for example, has gone on a podcast and say, instead of responding to a negative story with positive spin, the idea what we like to apply is instead get out 18 positive stories about the organization, or get out 18 negative stories about whoever reported on the negative thing. So very, very aggressive and borderline ethical tactics. And so we organization that paid money to this group and which, you know, the Globe and Mail says explains these really, really random op-eds that had popped up in very specific and unrelated small media in the U.S., basically written by former Republican operatives or current Republican operatives talking about the scourge of fake news and somewhere in the middle of these op-eds that appeared in like Texas trade newspapers, for example, saying, you know, even in Canada, they have the problem with fake news. Canada land has been going after, you know, a charitable organization and it's completely wrong. And and it raised a lot of questions at the time, but we're now starting to understand the idea behind these tactics were absolutely to bury Canada land online. And then late last week, I published a story in the National Post where basically I've received these job postings that, an anonymous employer had put on a microworking website that basically just asked random people to go and to spend time uh, to Google specific search terms that involved the We Charity or the Kielberger Brothers and spend time on stories that were very positive for the organization. And what that does is it tricks Google's algorithm into thinking that these are good links. And so anytime that you'd search specific We search terms, it would boost those stories up higher, making them more likely to be seen. And the counter effect is also that it lowers the ranking of negative news stories. For example, the Canada land ones, mm-hmm. so that they get buried either at the bottom of the first page, or even, heaven forbid, on the second page of Google, which most of us don't even know exists at this point. Right? So. All the experts that I've spoken to about this kind of stuff say that all these tactics are highly unethical. They're referred to as black hat search engine optimization. They go against Google's terms and services very, very clearly. And they're extremely unusual as tactics to be used by a charity above all else.
0: Finally, after a month of new revelations and testimony from the Kielbergers, the prime minister testified to the committee and it felt a little anticlimactic. It felt like we'd heard this song from Trudeau before. This, I'm sorry, I should have known better. Did he offer any new insights? Or was it a lot of that dancing around kind of responsibility and culpability and and getting to the heart of what may or may not have happened?
1: There was not a lot of new content, that's for sure. He certainly reiterated his apologies for not recusing himself from the discussions about the WE charity deal that they signed. I think the newest element that came up was really the fact that the prime minister said originally, at the very least, it was supposed to be discussed with his cabinet at an earlier date, May 8th. And he said he found out very shortly before that cabinet meeting was supposed to happen that the public service had actually recommended that the WE organization administer the program, which this is, he says, the first time he heard of WE's involvement. And this is where it gets interesting. He says, once he heard that, he said, well, I knew of the ties of my family and myself with the WE organization. He said, I knew the issue of perception that this would create. So he asked cabinet to delay that discussion until a later date in May so that he could... As in his word, push back on this proposal and really make sure that the WE organization was, in fact, the best and only organization to run this program, which is new to us because we'd never previously heard of the PM at any point questioning the choice of WE or pushing back on that decision. Mm -hmm. But what was also interesting, obviously, is the fact that he said he knew that there was, at the very least, an issue with the perception of his government outsourcing a big program like this to an organization that had such clear and obvious ties to his family and himself he obviously stopped very short of saying that he thought he was in conflict of interest and he said the reason that he should have recused himself again was to avoid the perception of issues but he did claim that he knew this would actually raise a lot of questions and so he wanted to make sure that the decision was the best decision and that it was defendable now would he say the same thing today I don't know, but that was probably the most interesting, let's say, tidbit. And as you said, a testimony that was otherwise relatively redundant. And admittedly, I think he came out largely unscathed, which is probably the best thing that could have happened to him at that committee meeting, all things considered.
0: And I mean, we'll be watching how this transpires over the next uh, several days and weeks, but it is curious to see whether he, he remains unscathed in all this. Chris, thanks for your time.
1: Dave, thanks so much for having me. 10.3
0: is produced by Carson Jarama. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest Chris Nardi. More from him at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening.